uh, no, not any one of these tonight uh, characteristics is all-inclusive. You know, there's many things that God uses to bless a ministry, but we do want to find out what Ezra says, amen, what we find in this book about blessings, the blessing of God upon a ministry. And I believe we have some ingredients here in this chapter. It is a long list of names, but God has some of these names in here for a purpose. And I'll try not to butcher them too bad, amen. So we're going to just read uh, 1 to 14 to start. That way we'll get into the chapter. We'll try to break the chapter down into several sections here. There are 36 verses, and I do uh, intend to finish tonight. So buckle up and hang on. Amen. These are now the chief of their fathers, and this is the genealogy of them that went up with me from Babylon in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. Of the sons of Phineas, Gershom, the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, and the sons of David, Hattish. And the sons of uh, Zechariah, of the sons of Farash, Zechariah. And with him were reckoned by genealogy of the males, 150. The sons of Pahath, Moab, and Eli, Oenai, Eli, yeah, Eli, Oenai, the son of Zariah, and with him 200 males. Of the sons of Shechaniah, the son of Jehaziel, and with him 300 males. Of the sons also of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 males. And the sons of Elam. Jeshiah, the sons of Athaliah, and with him 70 males, and the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him fourscore males, and the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him 218 males, and the sons of Shilomith, the sons of uh, Joshaphiah, and with him an hundred and threescore males. And of the sons of Bibiah, Zechariah the son of Bibiah, and with him twenty and eight males. And the sons of Asgad, jo Johanian, the son of Hakatan, and with him an hundred and ten males. And uh, of the last sons of Adonikim, with whose names are these Eliphilet, Jehiel, and Shemaiah, and with them threescore males, the sons also of Big Biah, Uthai, Zabud, and them seventy males. And we'll stop there. Well, Read verse 15 because he's kind of church's ministry. I believe that. Every one of us should be busy about, you know, thinking about our lives. Are we the ones standing in the way of God's blessing? We should also desire not only to remove that, 
But we should also desire to add every and any quality that would bring his blessing on this church. So we ought to be thinking about, okay, this I need to get out of my life, but I need to add this to my life. Now, we know that throughout this book, Ezra, when he came on the scene, he, there's a phrase that characterizes his life. He says, the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. He repeats that in chapter 8. Look, jump down to verse 22 so we get the understanding of this man's heart. He says, For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him, but his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. Amen? So the good hand, the hand of our God, the good hand of God is upon us. And that's what he kept saying. And that's speaking of blessing. When you have the hand of God on your life, when you have the hand of God on your ministry, God's blessing. And we need the hand of God. Amen? Amen. Now, he's speaking about seeking him with our heart, our whole hearts, in order to be blessed by him. And that's uh, why we have revival meetings, because it's a time of self-examination. We trust that God prepares us as a church, God prepares our hearts, God prepares the preacher, and as we come together trusting God and looking to Him, seeking Him, He works in our midst. He brings revival, spiritual revival to our hearts and our lives and even to the church. And really, uh, this revival is meant to spill over in communities and people get saved and God does great and mighty things. But really... We are the ones that depends on us. Are we ready for this? Are you ready? We've already seen the life that God blesses. I'm not going to go back over that message, but I want you to consider tonight the ministry that God blesses. So this chapter is giving an account of the journey of about 5,000 exiles, including women and children. That's a lot of people to move, Amen. Now, the first journey, remember, under Zerubbabel was 50,000. <laughs> it's the same journey. So this is from Babylon to Jerusalem, and uh, we know it to be about 900 miles across some very difficult and dangerous territory. So keep that in mind tonight. But we see the hand of our God, the hand of God upon this and we find it in verse 18 amen we find it again and uh, verse uh, number 22 as we read and then later in the chapter in verse 31 so what do we find for blessings in our ministry number one there must be capable leadership capable leadership we remember last week we looked at the commission that Ezra had from the king and we took that over remember the parallel, we are commissioned by the king, King Jesus, amen? We have, the same, we have marching orders, and we drew some truths out of chapter number 7, the latter half of the chapter. So we see this commission, and when he got this commission, what did he do? He recruited leaders. He recruited laborers. 
That's what he did. That's what this, these first verses from verses 1 to 14, we're seeing a recruitment program because he knew he needed leaders. He knew he needed help. That's what it's all about in the ministry, amen? And uh, what a job. He was commissioned to go back to uh, bring revival to the people, if you will, spiritual revival, and to rebuild the nation and restore worship to the temple of God. And so he was commissioned. We see that. We saw that. But Ezra was committed. You know, we need leadership that's committed. Meaning, this was no small task. Doing the Lord's work is no small task. We need to be committed to doing God's work. Organizing a pilgrimage of 5,000 people, including children, across 900 miles of hostile deserts. But here's a man who's committed. He was committed to spiritual revival. Again, are we committed to revival? What do we want to see in our lives? What do we want to see in our church? Now, we understood that the first returnees under Zerubbabel, they slipped away, didn't they? They slipped away from the work of the Lord. They were disobeying the commandments. They were neglecting the temple and their worship of the Lord. In fact, they had failed in rebuilding uh, finished rebuilding Jerusalem and its walls. Now there's a renewed commitment that was desperately needed. And who was the man? Ezra. He came to stir up that commitment, to stir up revival. But he had to be committed, amen? And he wanted to see people serve God faithfully. He wanted to see them worship the true and living God. So he was committed, but not only that, he was capable Capable, meaning he enlisted. Look at verse uh, 1. He says, now, these are now the chief of their fathers. You see what he's doing? He's, list, he's enlisting three chief leaders, three heads or leaders to help him. This is always a need in the ministry. You can't do it alone. No pastor can do it alone. In fact, I envision our church growing and having a staff, paid staff, assistant pastors and teachers and full-time workers in our church. That's the vision of the Lord. It's not just one man doing the whole show. We need an army. We need a team. We need a mighty team doing the work of God. I know God has to do it. Don't get me wrong. But I hope you're along with the same vision. In the work of God. So he enlisted these three heads to help him. These were influ influential men, amen. They were chief priests. Two, uh, two of them were priests, I'm sorry, and one leader uh, was from priestly families. Now, the interesting thing, if we had time, you could study this list, and they're actually tied in these families now are related back to the original group. This is a, a later pilgrimage of families who said, man, you know, our families went back. Now it's our time to go serve God, amen? amen. That's a blessing to see this, how God works. And so 
they did. These men, as you see their names here, you have uh, Gershom, right, verse 2, Daniel, verse 2. And uh, these men were very influential men in recruiting others. And that's what we're about. We're, we're, you know, we're to recruit. We're to be the ones trying to help people serve God, help people get organized in the work of God, amen, and do something for Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what Ezra was all about. And, and then you have uh, Haddish, and Haddish is from uh, verse number 2. Imagine this, the sons of David. He's from David's line. That's a good line, amen, good bloodline. David, the king, amen. And so he's reaching out. And, uh, and then Ezra and these three heads begin to recruit large number of people here. You have a list all the way down to verse 14 of 12 major families. 12 major families. In all, there were 1,511 men who made the commitment. Now, they're taking their families back to Jerusalem, 900 miles, women and children and all. There's probably, you know, with these 1,500-plus men, you have 5,000 with women and children included. Now, it is a much smaller number than the 50,000 that had returned 80 years earlier. But so we see... Not only did he do this, he chose capable men. And I want you to see these men. Look at verse 15 and 16. Hopefully I'm in. He says, Then sent I, verse 16, for Eliezer, for Ariel, for Shemaiah, for El Nathan, and for Jerob, and for El Nathan, and for Nathan, and for Zechariah, and for Meshulam, chief men. Do you understand that? Chief men. Also for Jehoiarib, and for El Nathan, man of understanding. And he says in verse 17, and I sent them with commandment. I sent them with commandment. I've, I find a few qualities here. Chief men. You know, we're speaking, when we talk about chief in the Bible, we're not just talking about some earthly characteristic of leadership. We're talking about godly men. Godly leaders. And that's what we need today. You know, we have uh, churches falling. We have leaders falling all across the land. And you know, the devil, he's going to get the media to put that on the front page of everything. But we need godly leadership. These were respectful men, amen, respected because of their character, chief men. But not only that, they were men of understanding. That's what he's saying. Men of understanding. These are men that had knowledge. These are men that had discernment. And the real reason is they were able to influence others and teach others. This is who God is raising up. And they were sent by commandment, meaning they were able to follow. You know, 
You're useless in the work of God if you can't take instructions. You're useless in the work of God if you can't submit. You're useless in the work of God if you're not humble. That's just black and white, I know. <laughs> That's just what God says, amen? You have to be able to obey. You have to be obedient to the commands of the Lord if you're going to be used of God. You can't just do what you want or think, you know, this is the way it should be done. Let me follow this church or this leader or this, you know, podcast and these gurus out here. Well, let me tell you, a lot of things of what they said is good psychology, but it's not good theology. It's not good Bible. And I don't care if they're building 10,000 members or 20,000. If you're not obeying God, that's useless because it's probably filled with goats instead of sheep. People who are lost because they don't even preach repentance. They don't preach salvation, the true gospel of Christ. And without that, there's no salvation. I'm sorry. Jesus said that, not me. You take it up with him. So we need to be obedient to the commands. Amen. You need to follow instructions. But these men that God raised up, look at the attitude in verse 18 of Ezra. He said, and by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding. Amen. Aren't you thankful tonight when you do have godly leaders, when you do have men who have a respectful character and have integrity and want to do what's right? You should be thankful because they're hard to find today. They're hard to find. You uh, may think, hey, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Let me go down there. Well, be careful. You don't know what they're preaching down there. You don't know what they're teaching down there. You don't know what they're practicing down there. So when you find the Lord's church, get in it and stay in it and be faithful. Amen? Amen. Verse 28, there's some other characteristics, as we know. When uh, Ezra was sending them, of course, he's trying to encourage them. He says, Verse 28, and I said unto them, ye are holy unto the Lord. Amen. Brethren, we need to be holy unto the Lord. We need to practice what we preach. Amen. We need to be alone with the Lord ourselves. We need to be walking with the Lord. We need to be the ones praying and fasting and seeking God's face, seeking God's word. And it's not a show. You know, we're not here for a show. We're here to demonstrate the power of God through the Holy Spirit that it's not me or anyone else in leadership it's God and that's all really that matters that we point to him amen and whatever we do and Paul said that you know I'm not using enticing words of men's wisdom but in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit I'm just preaching the truth to you and that's what we need to do today let's be holy but see these qualities, chief men, men of understanding, men that are obedient, men that uh, are thankful, you know, thankful for the privilege to serve, men that are holy unto God, men that are trusted, verse 28. We need to be trusted. 
And I said unto them, Ye are holy unto the Lord. The vessels are holy also. And the silver and the gold are a free will offering unto the Lord God of your fathers. And so they had to keep, they had to take the gold and silver. And I just wonder how many churches and leaders fall because of the gold and silver. Because they get corrupted by money. So we need to be very, very, really careful, amen, careful about our view of all these things. So we need capable leadership. Can you not agree with me that all of these principles, all of these qualities transfer over to the Lord's church and leadership that we need today? But one thing that I want to point out here, that... They were men in leadership. They were men in leadership. There were not any women in leadership. That's the Lord's church. As much as, I, I, you know, problems can start with gossip and women gossiping and talking about, I mean, they can destroy a church. Let me tell you. But God said, we have a plan here. We have heads of households. We have chief men. And it's not a mistake that he lists the men here. And we have to re respect the Bible. I don't care the movements that started back in World War I after women had to go to the factories. They never got out of the factories. And they never got out of their britches either. They put on men's pants and did men's jobs and they think they're going to go fight wars for our country. This isn't honoring God. We're not part of that movement. I hope, ladies, you're not part of that movement. Because it never returned the vision of what God wanted for godly homes and godly leadership in the homes and godly women who know that their principle and high calling of God is in the home. We forgot about that, didn't we? I can take you to all the verses. We know the verses, but we don't obey them. Amen. We don't do them. And we find ourselves in a, in a mess of trouble. Not only as a nation, but as families. Because we got everything out of order. And churches are out of order. Just go to the signs. Go up here. Look at the commercials on TV. Husband and wife, pastors. That's unbiblical. It's not, it's not God's word that they're following. They're not, you can't. This, this is God's word. This is God's order. This is God's church. And if we're going to have leadership, then we need to do it God's way. Amen? You say, okay, preacher, where is that? We'll go to the New Testament. Let me give you a few verses. I think the passage that I like the best that just kind of sums it up is Titus chapter 2.
verses 11 to 15. And I think I'm in the wrong one. First Timothy 2, sorry. 11 to 15. And we see here very clearly God has a plan and a role in the church. And you could go and I can, uh, let's just look at it this way so that you understand the chapter. You say, preacher, why don't you have the women lead in, in prayer? Well, I want you to see verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, in de- without doubting. In like manner also that women, this is the church. He's saying, put in order the house of God. This is the house of God, how to behave yourself in the house of God. He says, I will have men to pray. We need to be prayer warriors, man. Lead it. And then he goes down and he says in verse 11, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman woman to teach or usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. You say, well, that is male chauvinism. That's machismo. That's, uh, you know, a wrong attitude. Well, it's not cultural, by the way. This isn't culture. This is Bible. And I just counsel someone, whether you're in Chile, whether you're in Africa, whether you're in the Philippines or in America, this is over every culture. Whether you're Latino, Americano, it doesn't matter. This is to govern your life. And it supersedes all cultures. I don't care if there's matriarchal societies because Mary is worshipped instead of God. And so that transfers down to women leading the homes instead of men. That's false worship. And he says here the reason for Adam was first formed. Not Eve, then Eve. It goes all the way back to creation order. Not culture. God created Adam first, then Eve. And God said that Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Meaning, Adam rebelled and sinned, but he wasn't deceived. He did it with his eyes opened. But Eve was deceived. And because of that, she's to be in subjection. Women are to be in subjection to their husbands. Women are to be in subjection in the church to male leadership. He says in verse 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Meaning, women should not stand in public and teach a man. By the way, ladies, even in testimony time, it's not right for you to start 
teaching men in the congregation through your testimony. Be very careful that you're here to testify of Christ, not to correct others in the church. Amen? When men are present, that's not right. We need to be careful. So, we need leadership, male leadership in the church. Godly leadership. Men that know their place, know God's calling, know God's leadership. And by the way, we're not talking about lording over your wife. No one's to go home and say, well, you heard the pastor tonight. You just listen to me and serve me. <laughs> Wrong. Because our leadership as men is to be like Christ. And you know what it was? He's a servant. He does it out of love. And he does it by example. So because you love your wife and you serve her, she says, yes, dear, I'll follow you. You win that. You win that respect. You win that authority. You win it by your example and by your service to the Lord. So I'm not trying to get this all misconstrued. I'm trying to straighten it out. We need to be servants as heads of our home. Amen? Serve Christ. Do it in the right spirit. Be like Jesus. But it doesn't change the fact that we got things out of order in our society. And, I, and you know, praise God. And, and you know, <laughs> I don't know if I can even say it that way. When women run a nation, it's a judgment of God, not a blessing. I don't know how you feel about that in elections. I know how I feel. I know what the Bible says about it. We live in difficult times, and I know sometimes you're like, Choosing between the best of two evils. I don't know. You have to be led of the Lord and all this stuff. But do it by God's word and do it by God's conviction. And so when you go to chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, he's talking about men in the church. Amen? The office of a bishop. He must be the husband of one wife. This is what God says. Verse 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Amen? Are you with me tonight? The deacons also, verse 8, must be, the deacons, likewise must be the deacons' grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. And then it says, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. 
So we have God laying out leadership roles. We have it in the Old Testament, but it gets all muddied up in our culture and our society today. And we lose true male leadership. And, and it translates to this. A lot of cultures, churches for women and children. Did you know that? You can build churches with women and children in foreign countries because the men look at it as that's a women's job. You know, that's women and children, not men. And they got it so wrong of God's plan and God's leadership and God's program for the family, God's program for the church. And brethren, we need capable leaders, godly leaders. But not only that, we need committed laborers. Amen? Committed laborers. Go back to our text. Ezra chapter number 8, verses 15 on down. And so the need here in verse 15, I gathered them together to the river that runneth to Ahava, and there abode we in tents three days. And I viewed the people and the priests and found there none of the sons of Levi. Then sent I for Eliezer and for Ariel and Shemaiah and for Elnathan and for Jerob and for Elnathan and for Nathan and Zechariah and Meshulam chief men, and also Joyrib, and Elnathan, men of understanding. I sent them with commandment unto Edo, the chief at the place, Casiphia, and I told them what they should say unto Edo and to his brethren, the Nethanims, at the place, Casiphia, that they should bring unto us, what? Ministers? For the house of our God. Amen. And by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Mali, the sons of Levi, the sons of Israel, the son and Sherebiah with his sons and his brethren, 18, Hashabiah and with him, Jeshiah and the sons of Merari, his brethren and their sons 20, and also of the Nethanims, whom David and the princes had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanims, all of them were expressed by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava. We'll stop there, 15 to 20. Labors. Brethren, if we're going to have a ministry God blesses, we need leadership capable leadership but we also need committed laborers when he got there in verse uh, verse 15 remember he gathers the group together and then he starts looking around I viewed the people he said I viewed them and the priest I'm looking at the people the priest found there none of the sons of Levi says where are the sons of Levi? 
How are we going to go back and have a spiritual revival? How are we going to go back and worship the Lord when we don't have anyone to serve? Do you see that? And so now he's getting these men together. Again, men that are men of understanding. I like that phrase, men of understanding. He's getting these men that they should go. These are leaders, and he's appointing them to do what? To go and find laborers, ministers, bring unto us. They should bring unto us the last phrase of verse 17. Ministers for the house of our God, brethren. This is our job today and our prayer. I hope it's your prayer. They went out. This delegation included nine leaders and two teachers. Amen. Men of understanding. Their appointment was to find. Uh, uh, they went to a, the prominent man uh, named Edo. This Levite lived in the city of Casaphia. There was evidently a worship center there, a school of Levites there. And the delegation that went to that school and recruited these were successful. Amen? And I want to tell you why they were success, successful in recruiting other laborers. Number one, verse 18, by the good hand of our God upon us. Amen? We need God's guidance. We need God's blessing. I said, yes, we need, it. we need more leaders in the church. We need assistants. We need teachers. We need to do more for Christ. But we need laborers in the church. Laborers that surrender their lives. Let me just say to the youth tonight, the greatest thing you can do is serve the Lord with your life. I mean, surrender and say, Lord, I'll serve you wherever. I'll serve you whatever you want. I mean, go into the ministry. I'm saying be trained to serve God. Listen, there's little time. You may not have 50 years. You're not going to have any retirement. You need to serve God. Time is short. What are you going to do with your life? How are you going to invest your life? I envision this church training men for the ministry. I'm saying we need to pray that men surrender the ministry in this church that are trained from the ministry. And I love supporting missionaries, but God's vision is for churches to send out missionaries. We need our missionaries to be sent out. We need to fulfill the Great Commission. By sending forth missionaries. Yes, it's a blessing. We ought to keep doing that. Amen. But we ought to have a heart right here in this church for laborers to be raised up to go out of this church, to start other churches, to be preachers and pastors and missionaries, to go across. You know, if God gives us time, amen, he can send you anywhere in the world and God will bless you. He'll support you. He'll take care of you. He'll protect you. He'll give you souls for your labor. So you have God's hand of blessing. That's why they're successful. But not only that, you have a man 
Sherebiah, he personally recruited 18 men, 18 Levites. Do we have a vision for that in our church? That you as men, as leaders, should be saying, I'm going to recruit some here. I'm going to be the one influencing their lives. I'm going to be the one that's an example. I'm going to do something to make a difference in others. Aren't you thankful? Yes, God's blessing. Capable leaders who love and really influence others. And then you had two other Levites, Hashabiah and Jeshiah, who were able to recruit 10 more. These are verses 18 to 19. They were able to recruit more. In addition to the Levites, the delegation also recruited 220 Nethanims. That's a big group. I would like to have 220 Nethanims here. These were temple servants, temple workers. They were first instituted by David, remember? They were to assist the Levites. Maybe that's why we don't have this, because everyone wants to be up front and have their name in lights. What if everyone just wanted to be behind the scenes and not seen by anyone just doing service for God and go unrecognized, go unnamed. What if we had that attitude in the church? I'll tell you what will happen. God will begin to bless in a mighty way. That's what these men were. They were the ones who came along and said, I'll help you. What are you going to do? I'll help you. There's plenty of work to do. Let's have some nethanims, amen. Let's have some servants in the house of God and just helping others. So Ezra needed laborers. And these laborers, remember, he was committed to a task, and he needed laborers committed to the same task, amen. Brethren, we're all serving Jesus, and he's given us a great commission. You don't have to invent it, amen. There's nothing to invent here. It's just getting back to obeying the Lord's commission, the Lord's command. Just, just be obedient. Let's get on the same team. Let's get on the same path. Let's have the same vision. Let's do the Lord's work together. You see Ezra? He said, let's get together. Let's rebuild the nation. Let's restore true worship. Wasn't that a worthy task? How about our Lord? The Lord saith unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I believe that on our Wednesday night prayer meetings, this needs to be part of our prayer as a church. Lord, raise up laborers in our church. Lord, send forth laborers in our church. You pray that every week. Sincerely, God's going to do something in your church. Amen? We need laborers. And, and there's no greater mission. Listen, there's no greater mission than the Lord's commission to the church. Taking the gospel to a lost and dying world. This is the greatest work there ever is. 
It doesn't matter if you're an engineer, a carpenter, a factory worker. It doesn't matter if you serve tables at a rest. It doesn't matter what you do in life. The greatest work is the Lord's work. Let's keep that first and foremost as a church. Jesus saith it unto them. He said, follow me. And brethren, this is the invitation for everyone. Follow me and I will make you a fishers of men. I know it's not easy to go out on visitation. Some of you may hesitate. Say, I don't. Listen, Jesus is there with you, and Jesus will make you a fisher of men. He will help you be a fisher of men. He will give you the words to say. He's going to lead you. He will teach you. He's faithful. He will equip us for the task. I think of that commission to the lost and dying of our world, but what about all those that are hurting out there? They're in desperate need. You know, Jesus, he looked on him and said, there's sheep with no shepherd. Do you realize that God doesn't want you to be without a pastor? He doesn't want you to be a sheep with no shepherd. Because in this life, there are many trials and hardships and many temptations. And you're going to need help in your life. You're going to need prayer. You're going to need counsel. You're going to need instruction. And you shouldn't be afraid of this. You know, I got, you got people who have the attitude, well, we don't want the pastor to know these things. Why? God knows them. You don't think the pastor has big enough shoulders to carry that? Yes, he does. God made him that way. So if you have a burden, God made the pastor to be able to help you carry that burden. You have trouble and trials, you can let your pastor know. He's going to be there to help you. He's not going to look down upon you. He's not going to... Uh, despise, you know, he's not going to reject you. He's going to help you and lift you up. But isn't it nice that if we have a team of laborers, men and, and, and women in the church, and don't get me wrong, women have a great role in the church to, to help one another, encourage one another, to teach one another and to teach your children, to teach young ladies how to be true ladies of God and godly women. All that is made for you in the church and what a great ministry you have. And it's a great need. You know, there's still need for laborers, ladies, hey, amen, laborers. We need a team that's trained. All of us need to be trained to be laborers for the Lord and to help one another, to counsel one another. You know, it's, it's good to know that when you're telling someone, you're telling them the right counsel because you could be giving them counsel and they're going to be going away from the Lord because you're giving them the wrong counsel. But you know, in time, if you're faithful and you really want to get involved in the church, you know what? God will train you to be the right kind of counselor. God will give you wisdom. They, remember, it wasn't just Ezra. God had men of understanding. He had men of discernment. He raised them up. The good hand of God was upon him. 
And God will do the same today. He's going to provide. Will we pray for laborers? I believe some of us right now, right here, need to make a commitment to the Lord to surrender our lives to become laborers for Jesus Christ. As never before, we need to bear witness of the saving power of Jesus Christ. As never before, we need to reach out in compassion to a world that is in desperate need. Brethren, it's time to rise up and do the work of God. Are you with me? As a church, I hope you're with me in this commission, in this commitment. And let's just beg God. God, put your hand on us. Bless this. Bless what we do. Bless the work of our hands. Bless the preaching. Bless the teaching. Bless our classes. Bless our children, our youth. God, put your hand on everything in this church. Bless our outreach. I know we start weak and we feel weak and we feel small. But when God gets his hand on us and God gets his hand on the ministry, things happen. And we need that. That's why we need revival, brethren. I hope I'm not speaking in a foreign language to you tonight. But that your heart cries out for the same thing my heart's crying out for right now. We need to be in order, God's order, submissive, obedient. We need to have that love for souls that Jesus had. We need to have the compassion of Christ. And we need to be surrendered to do the will of God. Committed to do the will of God. And God's going to do great things with Heritage Baptist Church. Will you stand with me?